welcome to Wisdom for Life, where we sit through philosophy to find practical advice that you can use in your everyday life. Hi, I'm Dan Hayes. I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Greg Sadler. And today we're talking about... When your heroes let you down. So we've got a lot of stuff lined up about role models and mentors and other people that we might be looking up to, emulating, guiding our lives by. I mean, what else would you throw in there, Dan? Um, um, taking actual yeah, advice from? <laughs> right. And, and so that's a special type of role model that we'll talk about as a mentor. Um, but yeah, the, you, you've got both... Uh, People that you don't know and people you do know, the people you're emulating, people that you um, may want to uh, avoid the same decisions that they make. Yeah, and role models are not so much mentors because they have to have a, a possibility of telling you things in the present, but role models could be people from ancient times who we think there's something too and we model ourselves off of although when, when people ask us you know who are your heroes you know if you say somebody like Brasidas the Spartan eh, they might look at you a little bit weird and say who's that guy or uh, and you know especially now that they, we've had the what is it the 300 was that the movie where uh, they, they had kind yes. of a, a wrong portrayal of him um, I mean I used to actually say that because I thought he was a cool guy from reading um, Thucydides and, and mm-hmm. you know hearing about him as the the savior of Greece, the person who is freeing Greek city-states from the evil empire of the Athenians who turned out to be a tyrant city. But, you know, when somebody on the street asks you about that, you say, yeah, this guy, they probably have no idea what you're talking about. And I, I wonder, I mean, this is, so this is totally uh, a curveball to start with. But, I mean, do you think that when it comes to our – the people that we model ourselves off of, the people that we look to – do you think that there's a lot of cases where other people just don't get it? They don't know who these people are for most people? I mean, if you say, well, oh, Martin Luther King or Mother Teresa, everybody knows who they are, right? Although most people don't actually read their their, their stuff, so they don't know that much about them. But, but, you know, for more obscure characters, do you think that's part of what's motivating people? Or if you say, oh, my grandma, well, I don't know your grandma, <laughs> you know? Well, I, I don't think, like, the whole point of it, I think, for the point of a role model is it is personal. Like, you don't have okay. to, you know, justify exactly to anyone else why you're modeling yourself off of someone. Unless you're like, oh, well, I'm doing this thing that seems crazy. Yeah. Like, well, why? Well, this guy, he was, you know, um, I'm, I'm modeling myself after um, Rasputin. I'm like, oh, maybe we should, like, talk about that. Uh that's one of those things, though, where it would be difficult to really do that. You got to find a royal family to glom <laughs> onto. And I mean, how many people have that opportunity, right? Uh, yeah. I, that's that's another kind of interesting point. So, when do we say to people? You're, I think you're right that most of the time we don't have to justify it. We're like, well, who are your heroes? Oh, these are my heroes, and you know, we make exercises like this in class. But if you say something really off the wall, like if you said, well, my hero is this horrible villain uh, <laughs> in this this movie, you know, or you know, I, I want to be like Darth Vader, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I think people – I don't know that they would say, well, you're, you're bad because of that. But I think they would think that you are at a greater risk maybe for, for going bad. Right. Uh, so – 
I think we should really talk about like what what we really mean here by yeah. by role models. So, um, you know, there are definitely people that you admire, and for most people, these are people that you um, you kind of like hold up at least to a certain extent on a pedestal, and that we want to uh, emulate some of the things that they've done. Um, maybe to um, hope to um, achieve some of the accolades that they had done in their own lives in as their future selves. Um, and, you know, I guess when we were talking about a little bit earlier, it's like, what is uh, a mentor? But a mentor is um, this special type of role model in which you actually have, you know, um, direct interaction so they can actually yeah. give you advice. And so um, uh, we have a, a quote from uh, Seneca here about uh, why a mentor. And he says, choose a master whose life conversation and soul expression face have satisfied you picture him always to yourself as your protector or your pattern for we must indeed have someone according to whom we may regulate our characters and can never straighten that which is crooked unless you use a ruler and so what we have here is you know um we are making decisions, and how can we choose if our decisions are uh, good or bad if you don't have any uh, criteria for what makes them that way? So this is using the person as a sort of criteria or canon with, with, mm -hmm. is the ancient Greek term, you know, for the ruler, right? Um, and so there's kind of a two-sidedness to this, right? On the one hand, we don't say, well that person is my model and anything they do is exactly what I need to do. They have to be judged according to some sort of standards of good or bad, right? So if they start screwing up, like let's, let's say you've got somebody and you, you pick them out and they're at like the top of their game and in the prime of their development, but then they start cutting corners. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the things that does happen with, with uh, role models and mentors. And we're going to talk about them letting us down in, in just a bit. That, that's how they do it, right? And you're like, ooh, I don't know about that. I mean, there you're faced with a decision then. Do you follow along? And you're like, well... You know, in for a penny, in for a pound. I guess I got to follow this person the whole way down. Or do you say, well, I think I need to make some distinctions here. I'll, I'll go along with them on one thing, but not another thing, right? Right. That, you know, especially if, if you're the person that you are following is alive, you know, but once you get that fame and that those accolades, yeah. then a lot of people can easily sit on their laurels. And the the things that you used to admire in them um, kind of go to the wayside as they they no longer have to you know struggle so hard to uh, like they did early in life or mm. they once again you know as we will talk about in depth is like what happens when you find out that uh, what you knew about them was a facade or at least yeah, only a yeah. portion of their character. And then you see the full extent of it. Well, before we get to that, let's talk a bit more about like why why we need role models. I mean, somebody could come along and say, "You're better off without any role models. Nobody can let you down. You know, you're totally free to decide your own path at that point." And I, I don't I don't find that convincing myself. You know, mm -hmm. I tend to think that even if we are 
accomplished or have great qualities or, you know, are generally on the right track and can be trusted, we probably still need to look to other people at least to tell us, hey, man, don't screw up in this way, you know, or for accountability or something like that. I mean, what, what's your, what, what, what's your view on that? Uh, yeah, like, it's one thing to, like, have some sort of, like, theory or basis that you're, like, trying to follow through on, mm-hmm. but, um, it's a lot easier to kind of just emulate the actions, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of, uh, talk about praxis as the, okay. uh, combination of both theory and practice in a particular study or either philosophy or religion um, and that sometimes it's easier to watch someone that's already gone through and apply both of these things um, and to see how they react in like, specific situations. It's like, okay, um, I can see from the way that they react from this potentially difficult situation um, how someone that has already mastered these skills is able to um, react in you know a, a calm way or like in a, a, a commanding way, whatever thing that you're trying to emulate. Okay, yeah, I mean Aristotle, you know, one of the big uh, early theorists of virtue ethics, which is part of what we're talking about here, modeling ourselves after somebody else's character. When he's talking about what it is to act virtuously, he says, you know, well, it's got to be based in a habit and there's all these other things. But one of the things that I always thought was kind of cool and a lot of people find confusing and circular, he says a person who is temperate has to do things the way the temperate person does them. And meaning that there's there's something like, I don't know, what what do you want to call it? There's like a an approach to things and you can't put it neatly into words or rules or stuff like that, but you watch somebody enough and you're like, Oh, okay. I get it. I get how they would make a decision in this circumstance that I'm facing that they never faced before because I've spent enough time and paid enough attention and gave enough thought to the way that they interact with the world and other people and themselves. And he he says that this is really something central to, to, Good behavior to virtuous behavior, um, and I, and again, I think a lot of people when they read that they're like, "Well, that is just circular. Acting temperate means acting like the temperate person. Well, what the hell is temperate then?" Well, you know, he talks about that in other places, but I but I think that the guidelines that he gives, you need something going beyond that, and that's where a role model could come in, or even better, a mentor, like a coach, like somebody who can who takes an interest in you and says, "I want." you to be able to do what it is that I can do, or I want to bring out the potential that's in you. Um, And, and, you know, many of us are maybe not fortunate enough to have mentors uh, or, or we have, you know, people who are not very good mentors, but if you have a really good mentor, boy, I think that makes a huge difference. Right. And the the thing you're saying about like the, the temperate person does what a temperate person does yeah, it, as you said, it does sound kind of circular, but that is Sounds completely really circular. <laughs> but that is really the the core of how we generally learn as humans. Like, think of like us gathering language. Okay. We watch other people talk, and then we emulate that, and we start to babble, and we start to like, oh, well, now 
I, I saw them making a D sound, and you know, I don't know have a concept of D sounds yet, but I yeah, can yeah. mimic this back and forth until eventually we're starting to make full words, and we're, we're uh, uh, imbuing meaning to these early words, and this opens up more pathways for us to do this better, and eventually we become um, versed in the language. And only once we have one language, then do we have, like, oh, let's have books to describe the second language that you want to learn. But mm-hmm. that is not exactly, that is absolutely not the way that we learn our first languages. This reminds me of something, a kind of thing, let's call it a mix-up that happened in the history of philosophy. Mm-hmm. There's this really famous guy, Ludwig Wittgenstein, you know, major uh, catalyst for the turn to focusing on on language in the early 20th century in analytic philosophy, and also influenced some people on the continent as well. And he criticizes Augustine, because he's talking about Augustine's confessions very early on, where Augustine talks about children learning language. And he says, he he takes a couple lines basically out of context and ignores the rest. And he says, Augustine is, is essentially saying that, that words are just used to index things. They, they refer to things. And, you know, the kid, you know, watches the parent maybe pointing at something and saying, ooga booga, you know, and now the water bottle is, is that, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's funny because you, and this is going to sound like a a dig on, on Wittgenstein, and I guess it is. Wittgenstein would have been a much better philosopher had he read other philosophers a bit more attentively and if he'd read more philosophers. Because Augustine doesn't isn't saying that at all. I mean, he is saying that, but it, but it's within this whole context where he's like, the reason why we want as infants to say words is we have needs and desires and you know drives and and we want to communicate them to other people. So that's what's centering us to pay attention to what it is that these adults or you know kids who can speak in front of us are calling things and it takes us a while to put it together and figure out what things are actually called and we and we're very enthusiastic about it at the start because we want our needs met you know this this whole <laughs> thing is is driving it and that kind of fell out of the 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 picture and how we can bring this back to talking about um role models and mentors is you know this is something that we i think most people even if they're kind of jaded, they really do want somebody to look up to. Even if they're cynical and they're like, you know, people in general are garbage, very often there's like a little bit of idealism still under there. They want somebody to at least be a good person, if not them, somebody that they could point to. Can you be completely cynical if you weren't event at one point, at least partially an idealist? Um... That's a good question. And I think we may have talked about this on the show before. <laughs> There's this uh, correlation that Socrates made between what he called misologism, which we'll, we'll put on the side, and then misanthropy. And misanthropy is, is hatred of human beings, right? Literally. Uh, uh, misos is hatred, and then anthropos is the generic word for human beings, men and women both, you know. And, and Socrates. Never get anthropology. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The study of, of human being. And so Socrates says, how do people become misanth- misanthropic? Um, it's because they start out too trusting. They treat people as if they're totally good. 
and this is, I think this is directly uh, connected to what we're going to talk about here. Right. They have these unrealistic expectations of people, and then they get let down, and they're like, "Oh, that person's a jerk." You know, they did—they're a hypocrite. They didn't measure up to the standards that I was holding them to, and then they're like, "Well, the next time around, it's going to be perfect. I'll find another role model, and and they won't let me down at all." And then, of course, they get let down, right? Person after person after after person, and then they draw this sweeping conclusion: people are just all bad. And Socrates says, "Well, that's." You know, that's not a good conclusion to draw. It's not warranted in the circumstances because what what made for these unpleasant experiences trusting people too much. You know, it's not like you should trust absolutely. You should trust in a rational kind of uh, people meriting more and more trust as they do things sort of way. You know, and we see this in relationships a lot too, right? Romantic relationships. People are out there and I found the one and then the one turns out to be kind of a jerk or abusive or exploitative. And then they, you know, they move on from that relationship to the next one that looks almost exactly like the previous <laughs> one. And it just and, happens over and over, right? Right. And, and the issue here is that like, you're not, at least one of the issues is that you're not uh, being aware of the fact that we are human, that we are we're flawed, we will, uh, yeah. even if most of the times we're, we're doing great and we're going to uh, make all those dates and not let them down, like, life happens. And, and sometimes we're tired and sometimes, like, stuff just happens and you have yeah, to yeah. realize that that is part of being a human, of being in this world. So let's conjecture. Why do you think people do ignore that so often and they have these, you know, it's not as if they don't know the other person is human, but it's as if they think that in this case, this particular human is not going to screw up. They're they're like a god or something, you know. Where do you think that comes from? Like total conjecture here, like. Part of this is like it's easier to um, say this person is good. Like I love this person, okay. so of course yeah. they're good, right? And and so that's all you need to know. Uh, and so all they're from that. See, we talked about this before. If you label someone good, then all of a sudden all their actions on um, after that are are good. But once you are smacked in the face with an action that wasn't as good, <laughs> yeah. now that, that that starts to destroy that entire facade, uh, because you had built up this you know, this perfect you know simulacrum that doesn't actually map onto the human. Uh, sorry, the simulacrum is a, um, a a poor representation of that. That's actually a great idea to bring in, though. I think that in a lot of cases, when people get into arguments, for example, they're they're not arguing with the person in front of them. They're arguing with an image of that person that they've got stuck up in their head. And that's why they say crazy stuff, you know, like, well, you always. And then they're like, where's this coming from? You know, <laughs> um, well, the, uh, the person in my head always does that sort of thing. And so it, it does make sense that people would would say that that sort of thing. And I guess what you're talking about is the opposite, right, where. It's this wonderful, wonderful person who never does anything wrong, as we used to like say, butter wouldn't melt in their mouth. <laughs> and then suddenly the the real person out there is doing doing evil deeds. And, and you're like, well, there's a cognitive dissonance, right? Right, right. And then how, how do you, you know, that, that uh, 
that wave function collapses and has to be one or the other or something. <laughs> I feel like I am not um, versed enough in quantum physics, so you didn't bring that forward. So I will retract that. Um, so okay. Uh, so maybe um, let us uh, go back here and, and grab just uh, what do we mean by mental? We talked about it just a little bit, but it is definitely yeah. bidirectional. So we have actual interactions. So this is a, you want to call it a special type of um, hero or role model in which you have their experience, but they also you know, teach you, hopefully, um, give you active engagement advice. And um, whereas, uh, as we just talked about on our last episode, um, role models in which you have no engagement with are a little bit similar to those parasocial relationships. And so where this is where um, you you only get to see so much. They put on a, a facade, and um, you know, or maybe they're they're not. Just like you may only know so much about them, especially if they're like from the ancient world. How much are you actually going to know about them, except for some of their most heroic deeds that happened to get you know written yeah. down and passed on? Um, maybe he was a jerk that kicked dogs. You don't know. Yeah, and we have a whole host of what we're calling parasocial relationships, which aren't aren't truly relationships because they do lack that engagement back and forth. Um, we talked about this at, at considerable length in a previous episode that you can you can look up if you'd like to. Um, and I was thinking as you're talking about that, so a lot of the parasocial relationships that we talked about in that episode were in the present, like athletes and actors and rock stars and uh, politicians. Media people. Yeah, influencers. Yeah, yeah. Um, people that we can't possibly have a um, a relationship with in part because we would only get a certain amount of time with these these people, right? But so in academic philosophy, it's not unusual to see people, and I, I bet this holds for other fields as well, where they develop this very strong relationship with the person that they they think is important to work on, right? I'm, you know, like, I'm into Aristotle, I have to look at the world the way that Aristotle does and read his books and spend time, you know, we talk about like having this conversation across the ages with, with people. We brought up Seneca earlier, somebody who I'm, you know, is a big favorite of mine. I think one of, one of yours as well. And um, Seneca is pretty cool because he's pretty modest about stuff. He's like, yeah, I'm not a sage, you know, I'm, I'm screwing up a lot of the time. Here's, here's what I know. And I got this mostly from other people, uh, but we can look at him and be like, ah, he's, he's a good guy. You know, um, um, I, I like this Seneca fellow, and um, I, I wish I could be friends with him, you know, but we can't because he's he's dead. He's been dead for not quite uh, 2,000 years, but getting like 1,700 getting years. Yeah. No, no, more. Than, he, he was a contemporary with Epictetus, basically, a little bit earlier, right? Because they're all at the time in Nero. So, yeah, 1,800, 1,900 years. Uh, I mean, once once we get further into this century. So, you know, what's up with that? I mean, we also talked about fictional characters, too. Mm-hmm. And could you, could you have an adequate fictional character as a role model? I don't there, know. There are that, that's kind of tough. Yeah, oh, go ahead. There are, there are benefits that, you know, they can't let you down. They, they never actually existed, so well, they don't have the, the 
foible of being human. <laughs> unless unless uh, it, it's somebody who's still writing that character, right? They could they could have them turn out to be evil in the end or something right. like that, right? But yeah, you're right. If it's if it's Sherlock Holmes, I don't know why you would want to model yourself after Sherlock Holmes because he's he's kind of a jerk and you know he's he's talented, but he's also kind of a hot mess. Uh, but let's also, say you did, the right? Logic was terrible. That's true. <laughs> yeah, there's there's been some papers devoted to like unpacking the yeah, logic the whole, in the story. Whatever is left, however improbable, must be the answer. Yeah. But no, you. How do you know that the list of the possibilities that you looked at is exhaustive? Yeah, and, w- and where is this principle coming from? Too you know? <laughs> well, from the mind of Arthur Conan Doyle, who is, if I remember. Famously suckered by what was it, the Piltdown Man, or it was some hoax that he got taken in by himself. Yeah, it, was he also into seances? I feel like a spiritualism I'm not sure. could could yeah. be. I I, I don't re- quite remember, but in any case, like so, you know, if you took Sherlock Holmes as your role model, well, yeah, he's not going to change unless people are writing fan fiction in, you know, or or redoing oh. Sherlock. Like think of the Sherlock show that had uh, Benedict Cumberbatch and or Robert Downey Jr. Oh, true, true. Yeah, now that's that, that was an interesting <laughs> one. Yeah, and so I mean. So that's kind of interesting because that means that any fictional character isn't really set in stone because people can't, especially if it's in the public domain, right? People can go at it and... Well, maybe if you, like, curtail it. It's like, okay, only the Sherlock Holmes that Arthur Conan Doyle right, actually right. wrote okay. with his own pen. Hey, you can, you can curtail this and put files up and there. like, anything else is uh, apocrypha. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes, the original, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of funny because if you think about, and I hate to take us so far off track, but think about the Batman, right? So, you know, who's the original Batman? If we're talking about TV stuff, it's that goofy guy played by Adam West. Right. <laughs> who's powing and bapping. and Same, all, all. same bat time, same bat place. Exactly. Uh, now, then later on, we get, um, you know, still kind of cartoonish with Michael Keaton and the Joker, but there's more menace there. And and nowadays, like people are making jokes about like how dark the Batman movies are getting. And they're, they're like, well, the next time around, it'll just be a black screen and there won't be anything. You'll just hear some muffled sounds, <laughs> things like that. So, you know, which, which is the, which is the original is it the kind of buffoonish character at the beginning? Is it somebody nice in the middle? Is it the the dark knight, you know, the scary guy? Um, which which is your role model, you know? Uh, you, you have to decide on at least one of them because you can't possibly cram all of them together in one composite hero, I think, can you? Right. No. No. But like, the, the corpus of the Batman is, is too large to be able to, like, but there's definitely some through lines but okay the, the you know you've got it's like a a, a normal distribution you've got like the through lines in the center okay almost all the batmans have them is the tail ends they go forever and you can get some really weird and interesting versions for example it seems like more people are into the dark gritty batman though than the more wholesome you know 
come on, Robin, we'll go beat up these bad guys kind of yeah. kind of Batman. Um, so I well. think we should uh, <laughs> co- come back here just a little bit and you know, rope us back in. Yeah. So we talked about, like, there's, um, we talked about Aristotle on that uh, you would role models, as, as we were just talking about earlier, Seneca is talking about role models, and so uh, uh, the Stoics also have this. Christianity, you know, the whole, uh, what would Jesus do? Once again, here's a role model. Yeah. Uh, and and this is a, a through line in many others. So this is definitely that's not a, like- That's an interesting one, too, though. I just want to point this out. There's so many contemporary Christians when they talk about, you know, Jesus this and Jesus that, you're like, have you ever read the Gospels? Because what you're saying seems very, very different than the original text, you know, Jesus. Where's this, like, Jesus new, you know, 15th iteration coming in who's mostly obsessed with, like, people's sexuality or, you know, purity or things like that coming from, right? Heck, this reminds me of um, Buddy Christ, if you've ever seen uh, Dogma. Um, what was that? Uh, Kevin Smith's movie. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Um, totally a reimagining of it. Uh, but yeah, like yes, it, it can get rather fraught on um, with different interpretations. But at least mm-hmm. there is the idea of a role model, um, regardless of the exact instantiation of it. Yeah, that's quite true. Yeah, and we can say this about um, pretty much all the world religions, right? Um, try to be like the you know. The Buddha. Yeah. I mean, and then there's all sorts of, well, what would he, what would he do in this case? Well, you know, there's a lot of back and forth about that. And, you know, the, the, the sage plays an important role in uh, Confucianism and, and in uh, Taoism and quite a few other major wisdom traditions, you could call them. So. Yeah. Uh, definitely. And, and so like, I don't know. I guess this is just giving backing. We're not just you know talking about a the useless topic here that people haven't found use in other places. Yeah. Um, but um, and and as what you said earlier, like talking about like oh, I have to read Aristotle and I have to like really dig into his mind. This also happens in academic philosophy. Yeah. Um, but the issue here is role models fail us. They fail us all the time. And how do we? deal with that you know, how do we square the circle this is an impossible question of you know you, you have a yeah. role model and as we were talking about with like relationships we put them on a pedestal and then they make decisions that we totally disagree with or we, 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 we failed to measure up to the measure that they were yeah. the measure of yeah or we, at least we find kind of sketchy right and we're mm-hmm. we're like i'm not sure about this one yeah so that that's that's a common problem. Is I, I would actually say that that might be part of normal human development too, like picking out people who you think are really good to model yourself after, investing in them emotionally, and then being let down. And then what do you do after that? You know, and it could be a gym coach, it could be uh, a teacher, it could be you know a, an important athlete that you see playing. Uh, I mean, athletes are great for providing us with all sorts of unedifying examples once we actually start looking at their their personal life. Um, right. So we have a couple of strategies for what happens when they fail us. And so yeah. first one, as we had talked about a little bit before, is realize that your role model is not perfect. Uh, they are human. They will fail you. 
another yeah. strategy. Well, before oh. we go on to that, right. I mean, I think that people, when they, they hear that, they're tempted to say, oh, yeah, yeah, nobody's perfect. Sure, whatever, you know. But we should we should try to get them to think, well, why did you come to think that they were perfect in the first place? Where was that coming from? Was uh-huh. that a justified assumption or judgment on your part? Was somebody else telling you that they were? I mean, it could, you could be belonging to a group or culture where somebody is held up as like, this person is, is you know, the best. They can never do anything wrong. I mean, going back to the Jesus thing, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, Jesus uh, shows you the example. You should always be nice and kind and and meek and stuff like that. And then, you know, you read the Gospels and you're like, well, there was that day in the temple, right? <laughs> and in, in the Gospel of Mark, if I remember right, it actually uses the word anger for, for what he was experiencing. And so, you know, if, if you've got this mistaken image in your mind, you can ask, well, where did I get this mistaken image from? Why, why is it so unrealistic, you know, as to not have any wiggle room? So, yeah, th- that is, uh, an issue. Um, so maybe we'll, we'll have some other ways to, uh, deal with this. And so next one is compartmentalization. Um, that the things that they are good about them and imitate only those things and mm. let the other things, you know, sit a little, the wayside. That's uh, another one too, where I think a lot of people, they have a hard time with that because they're like, listen, if you're going to imitate somebody, you have to imitate everything that they do. Otherwise, you're not really following them. You're not modeling yourself after them. And so we probably need to like make some sort of case why it's okay, not, and not only okay, but but better to compartmentalize like you're saying. I mean, to me, it's kind so, of a no-brainer. It's right. rational and it, to it's, do that. It's easier for certain role models. If you have like a role model that is like a really good athlete, you can okay. e- you can more easily compartmentalize their um, actions on the field of play versus yeah, those yeah. are not. That's easier. But once you have like a moral role model or yeah. someone that you're trying to uh, emulate in your day to day life with, this becomes more difficult because that's a much more holistic role model. And so I'm gonna skip down a little bit just to we're uh, talking about you know what we expect. From these role models, we expect them to be, uh, if we're moral role models, to be morally upstanding, to yeah, possess yeah. some virtue, and to not falter. Um, but once again, this, it comes in that same problem of, you know, realize that your your role model is not perfect, and um, maybe not all their decisions are always going to be the correct ones. Yeah, I think even with people who are really quite good, you know, like certainly beyond the level of goodness that I have developed in, in my character. Uh, I, I won't speak for you, Dan. Um, maybe you're better off than I am in, in that respect. But, you know, where I can recognize that they're really, they're really good people, they still screw up. They still, every once in a while, lose their temper, misinterpret what somebody's saying, have a bad day, and chew somebody out. <laughs> I actually, you know, this is... We should we should come back to this point sometime in in an episode. I often tell my students, and I've told you this as well, that um, a lot of ethics is like figuring out what to do after you've already screwed things up, <laughs> right? And and like how to extricate yourself from the 
the mess you've created and avoid hurting people additionally along the way, you know? Um, yeah. And I think that that could be something that you, you can only see that in a role model if they do screw up. Right. And yeah, we, we just recently did a, a, a episode on forgiveness or is uh, oh, right. asking for forgiveness. Yeah. Um, yeah. Apologizing. And um, yeah. Uh, that is a incredibly large portion and uh, absolutely ripe uh, and fertile soil for us to uh, dig into later. Yeah. Um, and so um, the last strategy here for um, if if you're holding this person up is um, to make them the rock of your relationship with the world and then become totally devastated when they fail. That sounds like a bad strategy. <laughs> yeah, it is a bad strategy, but a lot of people choose it for some reason. You know, so let's go back to that because we we touched on that earlier. Why do people do that? Is it is it that it does help simplify the world for them? You know, you've got the good people on one side, the bad people on the other side. You know, it's sort of like having a brand. You know, you, you mm-hmm. buy a certain brand because it's got reliability. Mm-hmm. But do people actually buy brands for reliability anymore? Well. Some, a, maybe. That is a good question. I don't know. I mean, I could say, well, like Heinz ketchup, we keep buying Heinz ketchup, um, but it's because we like the taste of that ketchup better than some of the other competitors, right? We're, we're accustomed to it. We're habituated to it. Um, I don't know that it's actually, I don't know that we believe in like on some unconscious level that it's reliably good or something like that and that's why we do it i suppose we must right um yeah i'm just thinking of so many brands nowadays are are just built on marketing and not actually substance well that's true a lot of name brands um you are paying for the packaging and you are paying for the marketing that has been bought and paid for by by the company and quite often the generic store brands, you know, here in, in Wisconsin, it's the Roundies stuff, right? Out, out in uh, North Carolina, it was Food Lion. In uh, New York, it was Hannaford. There's always like some brand. And it's always like the same thing. It's all coming from the same warehouses, right? Yep, and they're, it, and they're packaged in the same place. They just yeah, change yeah. out the packaging. Yeah. And and they're cheaper and they're usually just about as good mm-hmm. because you're not paying for all that advertising. Yeah. I wonder so, uh, I mean, is, there, is there an analogy to people with this or I mean you can say people do advertise themselves, right? Yeah. I don't know. It like as I said, the, the had that conjecture earlier of like it, it simplifies things, but um, I don't know. Uh, maybe you just get convinced, um, and and we can become convinced really easily. And like, think of like how many people, um, you know, are convinced their their parents are like perfect until they get yeah. you know much older. You know, um, and then you realize they're also human. So it's like you know. You can fall into it. 
people also, especially like teenagers and and 20-somethings, have the opposite thing where they're like, mom and dad are stupid. They don't know anything. (laughs) And then you get a bit older and you're like, oh, uh, okay, they weren't perfect, but they actually, they were doing pretty good and they knew quite a few things. The pendulum swing. Exactly. I guess you can see that as like, okay, I spent the first like 15 years or something of my life, you know, idolizing these people. And then... And then the, the facade starts to crumble and you're like, oh, and you're like, you're so aghast <laughs> at this. You're like, oh, I had to move away. As, as much Mom as and dad are phonies. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. Holden. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I mean, right. and, and, but I just want to throw this in. Holden Caulfield, the main character in The Catcher in the Rye, he was a role model for a lot of young men. And he's a terrible role model because he has nothing to contribute. He's just complaining all the time. Right? Although he does wish to be better than he is. Especially well, that's, when he makes... Okay, so that's good. <laughs> all right. uh, you're right. <laughs> he's, he's not a good role model. Yeah. Um, so, okay. Um, so what happens when they do let you down? Because they're going to let you down. Yeah. Um, so it can throw us into a state of cognitive business, just as we talked about with the parents, on um, or even potentially existential crisis. That this this person that you're holding as a, you know as a, a pillar of, of how you um, moved in the world um, has gone gone away. Yeah. Uh, now we have to deal with this, and so I guess um, an example of that is if people like lose their religion, and they had like a, a religious figurehead as the, the person that was their their uh, moral role model, you don't right, believe right. this anymore. Now, now you're like, oh shoot, um, what do you do then? So, um, if you built your entire life uh, around being and following this person, then the foundations of how one lives and interacts with the world can falter. So, okay, uh, the processes here we have, uh, you know, realization and mm. um, distancing. So, um. What, now, what does that distancing mean? What, what, how do you distance? Are you talking about like you don't spend any time with them, or? Um, I think it's this... uh, trying to remove yourself from that same thought patterns. If, if, if okay. you are so disillusioned, like instead of like, a, okay, I'm realizing they're humans. Like, I think of this uh, once again. The, the parents uh, is a great analogy. You know, uh, kids they love the parents, they love them, they love them. They come to uh, teenagers. And, you know, hormones, but also, like, this realization that your parents are actually human. And now you're like, ah, and I want to get away from them. And so there's definitely a physically physical distancing, but there's also, like, a, uh, maybe an emotional and um, okay. you know, uh, intellectual distancing. Yeah, and I, I think that could happen with other things as well, where you're like, you know, I used to be, like, super into these athletes and the things that they're doing, but now I've realized that sports aren't quite as important as I made them out to be. Like, it, it, you change your perspective, right? And then you're like, I want to put my time into my studies or into building a business or whatever it happens to be. And so this, this allows you a space for self-examination and reflection. And so now, okay, well, these people let me down. Mm-hmm. Um, now we can kind of like hopefully look at things in a little bit more clear sense. We no longer have the rose-colored glasses of these people on this pedestal. Um, and then we start looking for our own way, hopefully, to like, take 
the things that we learned and um, progress to make our own path. Um, and realizing that we may not want to put people up on pedestals in the first place. Yeah. I think that takes a couple tries for a lot of people. They have to uh, set a couple people up on pedestals, have them knocked down, and then at a certain point they're like, well, maybe the problem is the pedestal. (laughs) Uh, Mr. Id, tear down this wall of this pedestal. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And uh, so, okay, so let's talk about some um, role model traps. It's like when you imitate someone. And you think they're good, but uh, you don't want to uh, imitate the other things that uh, they do um, because those other actions are bad or ideas are bad. So for yeah, example, or, or unproductive could be, you know, or like like not not connected directly to the thing that you're admiring them for. Um, I think I, I may have brought this up before in the past, but I, I, I was fortunate enough to study with somebody who was a second-generation student of Ludwig Wittgenstein, the guy that we were talking about earlier. And she was she was a really cool person. Uh, unfortunately, she died pretty young of, of cancer, and she was a very promising uh, Wittgenstein scholar. But she'd studied with these people who had studied with the master himself. And he was an interesting guy. He had a lot to contribute. But he also had these weird tics, like he would go in the corner and bang his head on the wall, you know, to show that he was thinking and pondering a problem. And they got the idea, these students of his, that that's what philosophy was and required. So then they started doing that stuff. It'd be sort of like if, you know, you're studying with a master chef and he happens to wear a yellow hat and you're like, well, yellow hats, that's where it's at, you know, and you totally miss the message. And she thought this was terrible. She was like, none of you should ever do this. You know, I, I took classes with these people and they were good people, but man, did they have some weird ideas about how, how philosophers ought to Behave, And so I think sometimes it can be not necessarily picking up on directly bad things, but just picking up on stuff that's like it's not connected to what it is that you care about. You know, it'd be like if you're going fishing with your grandpa, he's going to teach you how to fish and stuff like that. And then he I don't know, he chews tobacco. Right. That doesn't mean you have to chew tobacco to fish. (laughs) Right. This reminds me a little bit of the um, story of why. Uh, residents, new doctors, um, have such long shifts, and the oh. the guy who set up um, the the whole schedule, like the first guy is like, okay, I'm going to teach doctors in a really regimented way at a teaching hospital. Okay, uh, I want them to have 24 hour shifts because I'm doing 24 hour shifts, and then there's at least a, an argument there that you get to see the progression of diseases over this long. Yes, like a whole day. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was taking a lot of coke. And so, of course, he was okay for doing a 24-hour shift. He was on a really big stimulant. And so, yeah. now you're like, okay, well, now you have to do that, but all you get is, like, caffeine. It's, it's not going to, like, do the same thing for you. All well as it's totally against the, all the new medical evidence about, like, being tired and not sleeping has really bad detrimental yeah. effects on your ability to operate, especially when you're making decisions that might, yep, might yep. not a great idea. 
Yeah, I think we could probably multiply all like in every area of life. There's probably people drawing the wrong conclusion about how they ought to behave by by uh, looking at somebody. You know, we we got a number of um, people here that you know, for example, we got uh, Henry Ford and Charles Lindbergh, right? Like you, you did automation for Henry Ford and Charles Lindbergh, you know, flew across the Atlantic uh, Ocean for the first time. Very cool Phoenix. things, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're also big um, proponents of fascism. They're big fans of the Nazis. Yeah. Um, but it's probably not something that we should emulate. Um, and then, you know, we've got some more uh, recent people, like we've got um, Elon Musk and Jordan Peterson, of like, okay, hooray, you, you build some really good cars and whatnot, but that does not mean that I need to emulate you in a lot of other aspects well, of your life. I... I have happened to see Elon Musk, mostly because of the, the accounts that I follow, getting into petty arguments on Twitter with these people who don't have any, anywhere near the following that he does and wasting hours out of a day just being a, a mean-spirited jerk. And you're like, how can this guy, if I'm a CEO, I'm not spending any time on Twitter. Somebody else is handling Twitter for me because I'm going to be so busy, like, running my my company, you know, that I have a fiduciary duty to that sort of thing. <laughs> and, and you're like, where does this guy have the time to be arguing with existential comics about Marxism or anything <laughs> like that? You know, it's, 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 uh, it's definitely not a um, a positive quality on on his part, you know. Yeah. You know, he made a recent bid to take over Twitter, and some of us were joking about, you know, why was he doing that, you know, so that he'd be able to argue with more people, you know, with impunity or something <laughs> like that. Um, and so then, um, I guess the last one on this list was like Jordan Peterson, who like a lot of people at least uh, find him interesting, got them potentially into. Um, some bits of philosophy, um, yeah. uh, but he's got a lot, and he's got some good um, things in you know psychology. But they're they're not new; they're not unique to him. Well, that's, um, but he also that's the thing. I mean, and I think you can say this not just about like Jordan Peterson, but you can say it about like Ayn Rand, or you can say it about other people throughout you know the the history of ideas that. Um, it's not as if all their ideas could be bad. You know, like Aristotle says, nobody can be completely wrong because that that's just impossible. They often do have some good ideas. Like Ayn Rand will use the, the term hierarchy of values and say that you should actually be thoughtful about how you organize the values in your life. That's great. But you don't have to go to her to get that. You could get that same idea from Mark Shaler, the, uh, you know, very flawed, but very, very brilliant um, uh, German, um, you know, so sociologist of knowledge and, and phenomenologist. And um, same thing with Jordan Peterson. He has he has some interesting ideas. Every interesting idea he has that's got some value to it, you can find in somebody else without the baggage. So. So. Um. So I guess uh, we got this uh, a bit from quotes. I do not feel that we should set up people as models. Rather, actions, thoughts, principles. So I, I like that. Um, so uh, 
Noam Chomsky uh, was a, is a uh, American intellectual as well as uh, one of the central figures in uh, linguistics um, and, and political theory uh, yeah. on, on the left. You know, absolutely. I, I like this idea. I mean, I, I would kind of amend it, and I would say that we could set people up as models if what we're really focusing on and constantly coming back to our actions and thoughts and principles. You know, it's not like we want to set somebody up as a model and then say, all right, they, they're in. Now everything they do is A-OK. We have to keep looking at their actions and thoughts and principles, you know. Right. And so this is, you know, definitely a way of, of basically doing this bifurcation of ch- picking and choosing. Okay. Um, but even, even more, um, detailed instead of like, uh, only in this area of sports. So I'm going to model him, but it's right, like, right, I'm going to yeah. take every action as they take it and see how, if it's good, then I'll take it. If it's not, I will eschew it. Okay. You know, there was another idea that we kicked around a little bit earlier coming back to the Jordan Peterson, but I think this could apply to a lot of other thinkers. You know, like, in, for example, when we talk about Stoicism, um, Ryan Holiday has sold a lot of books and made a lot of money on, um, you know, he's got the Daily Stoic and the stuff that he does. It's not it's not I'm not going to say it's bad. Um, I myself personally um you know, like we have the Daily Stoic and we had to quit reading it because the quotes from the actual Stoics were great. The, the quotes from uh, for each day from holiday after a point where like, oh, come on, <laughs> this, this is not necessarily what the, the, the quote is saying. And I don't really like these examples. But, it, it you know, you could say, well, he's brought so many people to Stoic philosophy and we've got this metaphor of training wheels. Um, you can say that's great, you know, but it's just like a bike. If you if you start out with a bike when you're a little kid, you have to have training wheels, and the training wheels help you out. They stabilize the bike. You can actually learn the motions that you need, and you know you pedal around. You're everybody's clapping, they're proud of you, and all that. But at a certain point, the training wheels have to come off. If you're you know if you're 12 years old. And you've been riding a bike since you were six and you still have the training wheels on, something is wrong, you know. You you can't progress if you're constantly keeping the training wheels there. And, you know, like when it comes to studying philosophy, I tell people, ah, don't don't bother with I mean, you you can there's nothing wrong with reading secondary literature, but there's nothing keeping you from actually reading Seneca or Epictetus or Marcus Aurelius, you know. It's not beyond the average person. They just have been taught that it's it's beyond them, you know. And uh, would you say that for all philosophers, or are there certain? Ones oh, that- that's a great question. Um, perhaps, uh, perhaps Hegel. There are some that are harder than others. Yeah, Hegel is very high on the level of difficulty, and and we could talk, you know, much greater length. But I don't want to consume too much of our time. It's it's in part because he's a bad writer. Um, he's not a bad thinker, but he is he is not great at expressing himself, and that makes it more difficult. Uh, you know, other thinkers like Immanuel Kant, it's like you got to crack a code and figure out exactly what the words mean. Once you've done that, it's a bit easier to put things into place. But we can say the same thing about the Stoics, right? They got this language of the indifference, and what the hell are those, right? Uh, I think we didn't we do a whole episode on on the indifference at one point. Potentially, uh, yeah, probably, but yeah. 
Maybe we'll come back to it back. again. Yeah. Um, so, um, once again, like I love this idea of the training wheels, but also, um, what, what's the flip side of the, the model? The role model is an anti-role model. And so this is yeah. uh, something that we can also talk about of like, okay, what, what are the things that we, who are the people or the actions that we <laughs> want to not do? Um, the and opposite so, of right, yeah. It's like, oh, oh, shoot, don't want to be that guy. You know, uh, you know, uh, things that come to mind are um, like Bill Cosby or Lance Armstrong. You know, Bobby Fischer. These are, are people that have, like made some really bad decisions. It's like, okay, we all know, you know maybe OJ Simpson. Yeah, bad decisions were made. Don't yeah. want to follow those footsteps. Yeah. So, and we can isolate out what we don't want about them so that we're not making the converse mistake of saying, oh, everything that they did, like if they, so, you know, Bill Cosby really liked pudding. Pudding's not bad because Bill Cosby liked it. <laughs> right. You can enjoy a pudding pop. Yeah, very, very wow. much so. I don't know that we're actually going to have the time to get to the practice, but do we want to say yeah. anything more about this anti-role model thing? I think I think we can actually get to the practice. Practice is pretty short, so okay. I'm, I'm going to just skip ahead. So practice here is dissectoral model. So I want to you know, grab someone that you might think of as a potential model and look objectively as possible at the role model and make a list of things that you want to emulate and what you want to avoid and the places where this role model is opaque to you. So you know, uh, be aware that there are parts of this person and the way that they act in the world that you just will not have access mm. to and to make sure that you're not um, going down that path of uh, uh, trying to put things where there aren't any information that you can That's a great point, especially if the role model is somebody who is not directly accessible to you like a mentor would be, right? Right. And especially with like how much uh, perception and like uh, what is that mm. not uh, the public image um, professionals are out there. Spin. To, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, it's it's all over, and so like there's people's jobs just to make sure that someone looks as good <laughs> as possible. A job that has been around for almost a century, I think. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Do you, do you think that there were no instances of this in the ancient world? Oh, there were plenty of it. I mean. Cicero talks about this in On the Orator, how to manage your, your public image. But yeah. we should we should finish up with our uh, final, final thoughts. thoughts. Do you want to lead us out? Yes, okay. We leave you today with the words the American intellectual and social critic James Baldwin. Children have never been good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them.